This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Siemens. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg joins the Post to discuss the Biden administration's infrastructure agenda in response to the Colonial Pipeline cyber attack. Let's listen. Good morning. I'm Eugene Scott, political reporter at the Washington Post, and welcome to Washington Post Live. Today, we're going to continue our look at America's infrastructure needs and the safest and most economical ways we can meet those needs. My guest today is President Biden's key point man for much of the infrastructure bill, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Welcome back to Washington Post Live, Mr. Secretary. Thank you. Nice to be with you again. I want to ask you about the gas shortage and what the Biden administration can do about it. But let's begin with infrastructure. President Biden met with the leaders of both parties on Wednesday at the White House to push his $2 trillion bill uh, infrastructure plan. And we want to know, has there been any movement following that meeting? Do you think this bill can pass the 50-50 Senate? Yes, the conversations are ongoing. I participated in a meeting yesterday with the president and uh, uh, Secretary Raimondo and a number of uh, Senate Republicans. And what we're doing is looking at where the common ground might be. Obviously, there's a big difference in perspective on a lot of dimensions around infrastructure, including uh, our definition, our broad definition uh, of what America's infrastructure needs really are. But there's also a lot that we can agree on. And the president strongly believes in a bipartisan approach to get as much support as we can for a way forward. Time is of the essence, but this is that season for negotiation. Uh, and, And it's exactly what's happening, a give and take comparing ideas, and seeing where we might be able to come together. So according to an analysis of the U.S. Department of Transportation's 2020 National Bridge Inventory Database, more than 220,000 U.S. bridges need major repair work or should be replaced altogether. That figure represents about 36% or more than one-third of all U.S. bridges. Will the Biden infrastructure plan repair or replace these bridges? So the American Jobs Plan includes provisions to repair 10,000 bridges around the country and also act to repair 10 of the most economically significant bridges that need major work. We're seeing an issue right now with I-40 on the Mississippi River uh, across Tennessee and Arkansas in the area around Memphis, uh, where there is a a huge disruption taking place to uh, both traffic uh, on the road and traffic on the river under a bridge after an inspection revealed a major crack that could have led to a catastrophic failure. So we don't have to use our imagination to understand why bridges are important and why they need to be in good repair. There are examples all around us every day, and it's showing why we need to do more as a country. Uh, We need first-rate infrastructure if we want to have a first-place economy. This is a matter of economic competitiveness as well as safety and well-being. And it's no accident that the president's infrastructure vision is called the American Jobs Plan. So speaking of the American Jobs Plan, uh, we know that it also calls for delivering high-speed broadband internet access to every American, highlighting a major inequity for poor and rural communities. How long do you think it would take uh, to get broadband access to all 330 million Americans? Well, the president's jobs plan commits us to getting 100% of Americans access to affordable 
uh, high-speed internet. And that is going to be a challenge. Uh, deploying that to get to the most remote communities uh, will take time, but we also know that there are communities right now that could have better service if we were willing to fund it and make other policy changes that are needed. Uh, I know this is not what you might call traditional infrastructure. This is not a road, it's not a bridge, but it's just as important. If there's one thing we've learned, especially in the pandemic era, but really we've been seeing it for some time, it's that you need a connection to the internet just as much as you need a connection to the interstate highway system in order to participate in the economy, in order to be connected to other communities, even to be connected within your own community and for kids, even to do your homework. This, this is not optional, this is not a luxury. And as long as some Americans lack broadband, we are being held back. So we strongly believe that digital infrastructure is part of American infrastructure and want to get to work right away on making it available to every American. But first, we gotta be willing to actually put up the funding that it would take. That's why we're making such a big commitment uh, in the jobs plan framework that the president put out. Speaking of funding, how will all this money be spent and when? As you know, some of the main pushback to this plan is about the sticker costs of it all together. Can you provide some insight into that? Yeah, the first thing I want to make clear is that uh, America can absolutely afford to do this. Uh, not only do I uh, believe we can't afford not to do it, but the funding to do it is absolutely there. And you can tell because uh, we were able to put forward a way to do it that doesn't even raise taxes on the vast majority of Americans, anyone making less than $400,000. The president's made very clear he's not going to propose a tax increase. So how do you do it? Uh, well, for the infrastructure vision it, uh, in the president's uh, plan is about making sure corporations pay their fair share. You know, there are corporations, a lot of them, that made billions in profits and paid zero in taxes. Uh, we're not asking them to pay exceptionally high tax rates. We're just asking them to pay their fair share and truing up the, the corporate tax rate to 28%. Remember, it's been 35% for most of my lifetime and American business was very competitive in those years. Uh, so we're pretty sure that the, the uh, corporate world could handle a 28% tax rate and closing some of the loopholes uh, that create an incentive to move profits or even jobs overseas. Now, this is the president's vision for how to pay for it. Uh, we know that, uh, and this, this is certainly clear in our conversations with Republicans, they would rather do it another way. Uh, the only red line we have around this is the president's commitment about not raising taxes on anyone making less than $400,000. But the, the point I, I want to come back to is that we can absolutely afford to do this. It's paid for. This is a vision that wouldn't even add to the deficit. Uh, by the 16th year of these adjustments, the deficit would actually be going down because of the American Jobs Plan. Uh, so we have the resources. The question is, do we have the will? And if we lack the will, we're gonna be holding back our own economy. We're gonna be holding back our own communities through that failure to invest. You, you can't just keep coasting off of decisions and investments that were made decades ago, sometimes a century ago, and expect to have a competitive economy. I wanna pivot a bit to a topic that's dominating uh, the headlines, and that's cyber attacks and a gas shortage. And as you know, the Colonial Pipeline cyber attack, it's making waves across the national economy. Uh, and they finally turned on the pipeline back again, uh, but it's gonna take a time to get, take a bit of time to get the gas moving. What can you tell us uh, about when the flow of fuel uh, will return to normal? 
So the pipeline is back up and running. Product is flowing through it. It moves very slowly, often around five miles an hour. And as you can imagine, it's very complex getting the pressure right and uh, making sure that uh, this product is moving safely. So it is taking uh, a matter of days. And we're going to see that progress and process toward normal continue through this weekend. Uh, but so far, uh, all indications are that it's been going very well. Now, what we don't want to do is just uh, uh, sit back and wait and see how it's going. That's why the president directed uh, every part of the government, including my department, uh, to do what we can to help in the meantime. Uh, so even while we're still waiting for the pipeline to be back at full capacity, we can take steps and have taken steps, like making it easier to move fuel on trucks, creating flexibility around uh, how long drivers can drive, how much weight can be put into tank trucks, and making sure that there are options for overwater transportation uh, of uh, gas and petroleum products too. All of these steps taken together can help mitigate the pressure and the supply disruptions that we're seeing, even while we're waiting for a true, uh, what I would call back to normal uh, uh, condition to arrive in the coming days. We have news reports uh, that the Colonial uh, Pipeline or the, the company paid a ransom uh, to unlock its data. Is the government aware of such a payment or has such a payment been reported? So I can't speak to that, but what I will say is that ransomware puts companies in, or any uh, ransomware attack victim, uh, in an impossible position. Uh, paying ransom, of course, uh, creates an incentive for more of these attacks, uh, but often there will be individuals or companies that feel like they have no choice. That's why by far the best thing to do about these attacks is to prevent them. Now, uh, when you have a, a system, large or small, uh, it's only as strong as its weakest link. That's especially true in cybersecurity. And it's one of the reasons why we have got to make sure not only that, that the federal government is secure, that federal assets uh, are uh, fully uh, tightened up when it comes to cybersecurity, uh, something that the president, by the way, recently did a, a cybersecurity executive order uh, to, to make sure that, uh, uh, that we're doing more on that. Uh, but also we've got to recognize that so much of the critical infrastructure in this country is not owned and operated by the federal government or sometimes by any government. Uh, after all, the Colonial Pipeline, something most of us had never heard of until this cyber attack, is a private company. And a lot of times, even on the public side, you think about our water utilities, for example, uh, uh, wastewater and, and, and other uh, sometimes electrical utilities too. They're often owned by local governments or small uh, uh, units. And so making sure that whether you got a, a local government or whether you got a multinational corporation or a federal agency, um, that all of these have systems and practices uh, that make us hard targets for cyber attack. That's going to become more important each passing year because I can tell you these kinds of threats are not going away. They're only going to become more sophisticated. Our defenses have to become more sophisticated too. Do you think uh, the Department of Transportation should take a heavier hand in ensuring companies like Colonial are properly defending themselves against ransomware attacks? Well, there does need to be a very high standard, and uh, that includes reporting and accountability. Uh, again, the president's executive order speaks to that, uh, but we may need further policy moves to, to make that possible. Uh, look, if, if given that we're a country that relies on uh, the private sector to play such a big role, uh, that also means the private sector has to be responsible. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, look, once this issue has subsided, we'll look back at lessons that can be learned from this particular case. But we also just know, generally, uh, that we have got to be a more secure country when it comes to the cyber front. 
with the gas shortage, we have uh, many consumers looking at electric vehicles. Uh, would you be in favor of extending uh, the federal tax credit for companies who, who have passed the sales limit? Well, the, the president's jobs plan includes two things to help with electric vehicles. One of them, uh, rebates and incentives uh, to, to help bring prices down. We don't want electric vehicles to be a luxury item, especially when uh, you know, those who are lower income would of course gain the most from the fuel savings that you get when you have an electric car. Uh, so that's one set of policies that's in the president's vision. The other is charging uh, networks and charging stations. Uh, remember, even if it's an economic winner, uh, to have an electric car. Uh, people can still hesitate to purchase one if they're not sure they're actually going to be able to go on these longer distances. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of the cars on the markets now, they have 200, even 300 mile range. Uh, but if you're taking a long road trip or depending on your uh, patterns of use, you're, you're going to need to rely on, on that charging network. And, and we got to have the grid to back it up. So my point is there are a lot of policies that we need to undertake, including uh, what you described, uh, making sure that, uh, that, that we make the uh, uh, the economics work out for customers uh, in order to have more widespread adoption. When we do, um, then there are a lot of benefits uh, from the ability to uh, simply fuel up, so to speak, your car, uh, sometimes at home, uh, to, uh, again, those savings that you get uh, from, uh, from being able, of course, you're still paying for electricity, uh, but that is a savings for, uh, I think, every geography in the U.S. right now compared to how we're used to fueling up our cars. I want to uh, go back to the tax for a moment and just really wanted to hear your thoughts on what do they mean or what do they say about the vulnerability of our supply chains? Well, critical infrastructure supply chains, these are the kinds of, maybe they've been considered very technical or unsexy topics, but they're incredibly important to our economic security and, and our national security. Uh, and again, part of what we've learned and, and seen is that a cyber attack on a private company can have enormous implications for millions of Americans. Uh, the truth is that uh, cyber threats, climate threats, health threats are just as important as conventional military threats right now in keeping this country safe. We've seen that in a lot of ways, in a lot of blunt ways. It has been demonstrated to the American people over the last year and a half. And it means that we need to have a bigger picture and longer term way of thinking about how to be safe and prosperous as a country. That's part of why we keep coming back to infrastructure, uh, but infrastructure with a vision for the future, making sure we have more resilient speaking uh, of, cities and communities and, and country. Sorry, speaking of safety and, and health, I wanted to talk a bit about these uh, new CDC uh, guidelines when it comes to masks. And uh, as you can imagine, many people are wondering, uh, what are the requirements when it comes to masks and public transit and air travel? Uh, in the near and long-term future? So those requirements have not changed, but uh, it's a good time to uh, look closely at uh, what the CDC is putting out and see what new guidance may be forthcoming. Uh, it's, it's uh, I think, a great relief to uh, now have this, this new guidance that uh, in ordinary contexts uh, in an office building or, uh, or a restaurant or anywhere else, vaccinated Americans don't uh, need to wear masks. Uh, now, obviously, uh, uh, travel conditions can be a little different than other conditions. It's one of the reasons why uh, there's a separate line of guidance from the CDC and separate policies on that. And it's a good idea, especially if you're planning a trip, to go to the CDC website and see what the latest guidance is. In the meantime, it is very important uh, for travelers, commuters, to recognize that uh, those workers who are operating uh, these systems, these vehicles, from a bus operator to uh, a flight attendant, 
they are, are carrying out the, um, the mandates, uh, the rules, and, and, and the guidance that have been given to them. And it's really important to show respect and support for them as they go about their jobs trying to keep everybody safe. Uh, safety is something that obviously is on the minds of many people when it comes to uh, these cyber attacks. And I wanted to hear your thoughts about what the Transportation Department is doing to keep Americans safe on the road and in the air and in other ways they travel. You know, we do a lot of things in the Department of Transportation, but our basic mission, the, the real reason my department exists, is safety. And uh, we need to recognize that uh, there, there are all of the safety issues that have been with us the whole time, and then new ones emerge constantly. Uh, for example, safety in cars. Uh, for a long time, that was about seatbelts, uh, and there was a focus on uh, uh, dealing with uh, driving under the influence. Both of those things remain uh, as important as ever. But we've made a lot of progress on that. And while holding that progress are now recognizing new issues or newer issues like distracted driving uh, that are causing just uh, as grave of, of a threat to safety. We lose uh, over well over 30,000 lives a year on American roads. And that's not inevitable. That's not a cost of doing business. Uh, that's something that we can and must do something about. So whether we're talking about safe air travel, whether we're talking about uh, safe driving, uh, or any other part of our transportation system, from, from trains to, to pipelines, uh, which, which is also uh, something the Department of Transportation oversees from a safety perspective. Uh, we need to do everything we can to educate uh, the American people, to hold ourselves and one another accountable, and to prepare for the changes that are coming. You look at technologies like uh, automated driving. Uh, they hold a great deal of potential for safety, but uh, we've got to make sure that they actually meet that potential as those new technologies come online. Your colleague, uh, Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm, said earlier this week uh, that pipelines are still the best way to move oil. Do you agree with that? Well, they do, certainly when you're talking about the efficiency of moving petroleum uh, products, that's that's why we have pipelines. And, and let's remember that uh, we have a, a multi-layered uh, energy system in this country. It's going through a transition. That transition in many ways will, will unfold through our lifetimes. But yes, pipelines are critically important. Uh, we, uh, we have what's called PHMSA, the Pipeline Hazardous Material Safety Administration. That's part of our department oversees over 2 million miles of pipeline across this country. Uh, and that's going to be important for a very long time. Look, most Americans don't have an electric car. Uh, so it's, it's as important as it's ever been to make sure that we are efficiently and safely getting fuel to gas stations and everywhere else it needs to be. Uh, given the gas shortage, uh, do you think the Biden administration should revisit the Keystone pipeline? Uh, it's really uh, an apples and oranges when we talk about uh, the consequences of a cyber attack on uh, one pipeline uh, versus the idea of uh, introducing another one, which the president kept his promise that, that uh, he didn't think that was a good policy, and, and he acted to keep his promise when he took office. Uh, look, uh, uh, policy around pipelines is going to be driven by safety. Uh, it's going to be driven by uh, being responsible uh, from a climate perspective and uh, from an economic perspective. And you're going to see that uh, going forward as our energy systems go through uh, a lot of change. And uh, uh, remember, the grid's got to go through uh, a lot of improvement and changes, too. I mean, again, we've seen so many harsh reminders from uh, the I-40 bridge to the Colonial Pipeline incident to what happened in Texas earlier this year with the electric uh, grid, all illustrating to us just how important infrastructure is. And that's why uh, we can't just have infrastructure week be a punchline yet again. We've got to do something big and we've got to have a vision for the future. 
Well, Mr. Secretary, we have uh, far more questions than we have time, but I just wanted to thank you so much uh, for giving us some of these moments and answering these really important questions for our viewers. Well, thank you. Great to be with you. Look forward to the next time. Indeed. Take care. Please stay tuned at 2 p.m. Eastern time today for our Race in America series. My colleague, Tracy Jan, is going to speak with Sonal Shaw, president of the Asian American Foundation, along with board member and Yahoo co-founder, uh, Jerry Yang. You can always head to WashingtonPostLive.com to register and find more information about upcoming programs. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.